It is possible to be sitting on top of something and not even realize the significance of it. Well, as we read the book of Romans, I mean, it's fantastic. But you get to chapter 8, and I don't know how many times I've read chapter 8 or you've read chapter 8, but it's possible for us to just kind of breeze through it and not really realize what we have here. It's kind of the diamond within the Magna Carta of the Bible, the book of Romans chapter 8. I want you to just pause as we talk about these verses, and I want you to to bask and rejoice and revel in this grand finale of Romans chapter 8. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Romans then, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be talking today about some glorious promises. Remember a few weeks ago when I mentioned the preacher who sent a letter to 20 of his preacher friends and said, if you're on a desert island and you could only have one chapter of the Bible, what would it be? And five out of 20, one-fourth of them said Romans chapter 8. It is that powerful of a chapter, and we are coming to the end of it, which I call kind of the grand finale. It's, it's like the crescendo. It's really been building through the whole chapter, but it's like that volume peaks as we get right to the end here. And so we're going to be looking at the last few verses, Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. Paul says, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we see there is a bunch of glorious promises, and we're going to be taking a look at them today, but let's pray first, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be in your house, and we pray now that you would bless this time in it. Father, we pray that this would be profitable, and we pray that your word would strengthen and help especially God's people We ask now all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, we were over in in England, and uh, we went to see Lollard's Tower. It's on the south side of the Thames River, and and a lot of people don't even know the significance of Lollard's Tower. But there, our our Anabaptist forefathers were chained to the walls, and and they were tortured, and they were abused, and they were were put to death. And as we went to, to tour it, not even the tour guide really realized the history of it. It's, it's possible to be right on top of something and not even realize what you've got. 
you know, just north of the Thames, kind of in central London, you'll find the Bunhill Cemetery. And there in the Bunhill Cemetery, you'll find the author of Pilgrim's Progress, the, the second greatest seller of all time next to the Bible, but a book written by John Bunyan, a, a great Baptist preacher of the 1600s who suffered for his faith as well. You know, you can walk into that cemetery and you can find this kind of a mausoleum to Bunyan there, and you can stand there and admire this man and the work that he did, but you know that most of the people in London just walk back and forth. There's a path through the cemetery. They walk back and forth and have no idea who John Bunyan really was. It is possible to be sitting on top of something and not even realize the significance of it. Well, as we read the book of Romans, I mean, it's fantastic. But you get to chapter 8, and I don't know how many times I've read chapter 8 or you've read chapter 8, but it's possible for us to just kind of breeze through it and not really realize what we have here. This is a gem. It's kind of the diamond within the Magna Carta of the Bible, the book of Romans chapter 8. It's kind of the crescendo of Paul's writing. And Paul's kind of uh, gone through a lot of deep stuff and weighted us down a bit. And now he's kind of like on a, on a mountaintop, if you will, the Swiss Alps. And kind of spiritually yodeling, I picture him here, as, as, he, as he just gives us this magnificent outburst, this, this grand finale of all this good stuff here. And this is powerful. And it's so good because... There are those, some here today at least, you're in the grip of guilt. You live under guilt. You wake up with it in the morning. I want you to just pause as we talk about these verses, and I want you to to bask and rejoice and revel in this grand finale of Romans chapter 8. Now, last time we took a look at verse 31, which says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He says, what shall we say to these things? What things? Well, all the things he's been talking about up to this point. Remember that our Bible has chapter divisions and verses in it, but this was all one scroll. It was one letter. It's an epistle. That's what uh, the, the word epistle means, letter. And so it's all one epistle or one letter, and all the things that Paul has been talking about up to this point, mainly being salvation and sanctification, he's saying, in light of all that now, what should we say? You know, that... God's people and even, even lost people are, are clueless to the things that really, the, the golden nuggets that are really hidden and buried in the Word of God. Paul has been talking mainly about salvation. The unsaved, of course, they don't understand salvation. They kind of think God helps those who help themselves. And I'm the, I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And it's up to me to lift myself up into heaven by my bootstraps, by my good works, by my baptism, by my church membership. And they're trying to help their own cause in getting to heaven by getting uh, baptized, taking communion, praying, doing uh, penance, uh, denying themselves something, giving up something, making a trip uh, to Rome or a trip to Mecca or whatever it might be. And finally, finally, if they do all that stuff, in their mind at least, God will say, you made the cut, Uh, I'll let you into heaven, you held out and you you did enough. And, And by the way, there are even those who believe it's by grace. But afterwards they think they have to hang on to it and hold out faithful unto the end, and that's not grace. It's not what we do for Him. It's what He's done for us. Jesus didn't come to make a sinner better. He he came to bring dead people back to life who were spiritually dead. The Bible says dead in, in trespasses and sins. In fact, if you remember the story of the prodigal, 
Remember after he came to himself, he came back home, it's a picture of salvation, and his father says, this my son was what? Dead. That's a picture of us before we get saved. Now, Paul starts out in verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? The things of salvation, the things of being born again. By the way, I had the privilege this last week of leading a man in his mid-80s to Jesus Christ. He's sitting here right now. Imagine getting to that season in life and then realizing all that religion, all that whatever didn't save you, and he got saved. Now, verse 31 at the last says this, if God be for us, and don't let that word if hang you up there, okay? It, it literally in the Greek means since, since God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that good? If God's for us, who can be against us? Is God really for us as Christian people? We looked at this verse last week. Psalm 56, 9 says, When I cry unto thee, the psalmist saying to God, Then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. God is for me, he said. God is for me. God is for you. You know, it wouldn't hurt us to say that together. Let's say it together. God is for me. Let's say it again. God is for me. Now, now, now let that sink in. God is for me. God is not some peeved deity standing back with, with his, his, his eyes focused on you, glaring with smoke coming out of his nostrils, mad at you. You know, the wrath of, of God was satisfied on Calvary's cross. We don't realize that. Jesus took our wrath. Christ paid our price. And, and verse 31 is saying, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us and win? Who can be against us and defeat us? Proof of that? Verse 32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Notice he spared not his own son. I've underlined that in my Bible. When Christ went into the garden to pray before going to Calvary's cross, remember what he did? He said, Father, if there's another way. Uh, if, if there's some other way to pay for the sins of mankind, if this cup can pass from me, and somehow you can accomplish this, please do. But then he added, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And God spared not his own son. Jesus Christ was savagely taken and violently beaten and whipped, and the crown of thorns was placed on his head, and, and spikes were driven through his hands and feet, and he died perhaps on the most torturous mode of execution ever devised in the warped, twisted mind of man, a cross, a Roman crucifix. If God spared not his own son, the verse says. Notice in verse 32 also, for us but delivered him up for us, for us, the guilty, the defiled, the depraved. He delivered him up for us, yet, goes on and says, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave himself for our sins. God the Father delivered him up for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Notice also these words in verse number 32. His own son. His own son. Remember when, when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac? His own son. And, and when God saw he'd go through with it, he said, stop. He don't have to do it. In Genesis twenty-two twelve, 12, God said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. 
Neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld. Notice, thy son, thine only son from me. God the Father spared not his own son. Now in light of that, we read the rest of verse 32. It says, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Notice, he shall now with him freely give us all things. If he wouldn't spare the death of his own son, don't you think he'll provide the needs after we were born again? After we were saved? It's, it's like uh, uh, you saying, Pastor, you can have this new Ferrari. And I will, really? Free? I, I can have it? Yep. And I notice it's missing the spare tire and I go... Could I get the spare tire with it? You No, no, I can't, can't give you that, no. I mean, that would be dumb, wouldn't it? If God would spare not his own son, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We act like we're paupers sometimes, don't we? Beggars, you know? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 21, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and ye are Christ. Notice the package deal. When you get saved, the Bible says all things are yours. These are glorious promises. Now, Paul's asking a lot of questions here, and we haven't really even gotten into the message. But in verse 31, he says, If God be for us, who can be against us? No one. Nothing. In verse 32... He says, if he spared not his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Duh, okay, that, that makes sense. In verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? No one, nothing. In verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's ending this message, if you will, with this, these mountain peaks of truth, one after another, one question after another here. And honestly, folks, if we would get this down in our heart of hearts, it would save us hours of anxiety. Hours of anguish. So let's take a look at these glorious promises. First, I find this promise of the uncondemning Father. The uncondemning Father. Verse 33 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That saved people. It is God that justifieth. Now, this is, this is a legal wording, okay? This is kind of a, a judicial talk here, if you will. It's kind of saying who's going to be able to prosecute Christian people if they have been born again. How many have heard of double jeopardy? Double jeopardy. Uh, it basically states that if somebody is uh, exonerated or, or they are uh, found not guilty of a crime, a particular crime, they can never be found guilty for that crime again. Never tried twice for the same offense. In fact, years ago, there was a man who was brought into a court in Wisconsin, and he had been, uh, I guess, caught assaulting somebody with a deadly weapon. And they found him guilty of it. And apparently, his conscience was bothering him because he made a shocking confession before sentence was passed. He, he, said, he said, Your Honor, I've got to admit that that crime I, I was tried for a murder two years ago. He said, I'm guilty of that. Well, the uh, judge leans over and he starts whispering to the prosecuting attorney. He said, Can we do something about this? And the prosecuting attorney said, We cannot. The defense attorney said, We cannot. He's already been found innocent of that. There's double jeopardy. And, and he can never be convicted for that crime again. Let me just say this. When we're in Christ, we're just as guilty, honestly, as we were, technically, if you will, but we are unpunishable. And verse 33 in the Greek is saying, who can incriminate us? 
Once we have been pardoned, no one. Who can incriminate us? Verse 33 says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Think about it. We have a defense attorney who's the son of the judge. Okay? Right? You follow me so far? He's the son of the judge. Uh, add to that the fact he's the one who has already paid for our penalty. He's paid the price for what we have done. And uh, add to that he has never, ever lost a case and so if, if you're living under guilt, stop. God is for you. The wrath of God was satisfied at Calvary. It was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And when you are in Christ, though guilty, you're unpunishable. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, verse 34 goes on, and it says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Notice, who condemneth? In other words, who's qualified to condemn you after you've gotten saved? Who's he that condemneth? Well, there's only one. And, and, and the Bible mentions that. It is Christ that died. The same one who could accuse you, who could condemn you, is defending you. He is your advocate. Plain and simple. He is on your side. Let's think this thing through, okay? In, in John chapter 5 and verse 22, Jesus said, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So the Father's not judging anybody. He has said, Jesus, you take care of that. He hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And I'm telling you, if you sit here today and you've never been born again, there's a fiery future in store for you. In fact, during the tribulation period, Revelation 6.15 says that the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the, the uh, mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Notice all the big shots standing there underneath the boulder saying, would you just please fall on us and squash us and hide us from the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus Christ is judge. And if you're not saved, it's not good news. But if you have been born again, He's the same one now who makes intercession for you. And there's nothing that condemn you, can condemn you anymore. Notice again verse number 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. In the Greek, that means he's our advocate. It, it, it means he speaks on our behalf. He is our intercessor. Have you ever had anyone go to bat for you or anyone speak on your behalf or anyone bail you out when your back was to the wall? I, just, I ran into somebody about a week and a half ago that I haven't seen since the late 90s. Back in the late 90s, we were trying to get the, the, uh, the building permit for this place or actually getting it zoned uh, for use of a church. And I was downtown at one of these meetings, and I dread these things. But I was down there, and boy, they were grilling me over. And, and uh, the building committee was, was actually trying to get 50 feet of, of this part of, of uh, our property here, right along the interstate. I mean, it would have gutted our parking. I mean, uh, no parking on this side. Then they'd have turned around and said, well, you don't have enough parking for your, you know, your pews inside. And it just goes round and round. And so all this stuff was going on. I'm telling you, I was sitting up there just sweating. And they were grilling me, and they were really trying to get that 50 feet of land donated to the city. 
And uh, I'm just sitting there, God, what am I going to do? All of a sudden, this guy steps up. He was just sitting out there in the crowd. He was waiting for his case to be heard. Comes around the podium. He says, folks, could I say something? Uh, he said, uh, you know, what you're doing here is called steering. And he said, it's illegal. And I just thought I'd mention that. Well, he just went and sat down. I went, what was that, an angel or something? What, you know, you could have heard a pin drop in that, that place. Maybe <clears throat> somebody cleared their throat. And all of a sudden, they passed the, uh, the zoning for our property here. And I thought, who was that masked man, you know? I ran into him here about a week and a half ago. And I'm telling you, he, he really went to bat for me. And not a thing to gain from it. Have you ever had somebody be your advocate and your interceder, and, and if that's a word, and, and really go to bat for you? Jesus Christ does that for us. We read that here. Now, okay, here's, here's the bottom line. There's only one that can judge. We know who that is, all right? Uh, secondly, he is, he is, he's the same one e- interceding for us. Thirdly, he is, he is pleading our case as our defense attorney. He is our advocate. So who do you think is going to win the case? That's what he's saying here. Jesus Christ is judge and jury. <laughs> bottom line. And uh, he's also prosecuting attorney. He's also DA. And uh, he's, he's on our side. We read this in Romans 3.26, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He's just, uh, and, and sin must be paid for, but he's also the justifier of us by paying for our sins. So there's nobody that can condemn us. And that's what verse 34 says. Who is he that condemneth? It is impossible if we have been justified. Notice it goes on. And it says, it is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. It's impossible to be condemned if you've been born again. We have been justified. We read in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you have been saved, you've been justified. You don't have to worry about any of that other stuff. We find this uncondemning Father. But secondly, we find the glorious promise of an unending fellowship. It goes on in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. I count, I count seven enemies there. Seven things on our heel. Seven things coming after us. And it mentions, we don't have time to go through them all here, but it mentions tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. Notice the, the, the word peril. We don't use that word a lot. Have you been through any peril lately? You know, you might not appreciate this truth, but Paul sure did. Because Paul was going through peril all the time. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, he says, In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, fellow Jews, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. I'm telling you, when you get saved, you're going to have the, the, the devil on your back. If you have been truly born again, you're going to be able to relate to Paul. Maybe not this kind of stuff, but Paul talks about these enemies here. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, Paul says to save people, ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word 
in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. You know, there's this health and wealth gospel that just says, if you get saved, everything's going to go great. Well, Paul was doing something wrong. And these people at Thessalonica must have been doing something wrong. Because they received the word in much affliction, but notice the rest of it, I like this, and with joy of the Holy Ghost. You can have affliction, but if you're saved, you know the joy that goes with it. Christ put it this way to his followers in John 16, He says, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You got God on your side. I'm telling you, you'll go through the, the valleys, you'll, you'll go through the jams, but I'm telling you, it is such a thrilling thing, if I, if I might put it this way, to watch God get you out of the jams. I, I mean, we had jams this week, and God gets us out of those things. There's that unending fellowship. Now, notice in verse 35, it starts out by saying, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. That's the answer. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can sever us. From the love of Christ. Verse 36 goes on. As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And you go, huh? What is that talking about? What's this sheep being slaughtered business talking about? Well, when you see the words, it is written, it's like an arrow pointing back to the Old Testament. You're going to find it in the New Testament. So we know we're, we're seeing an Old Testament verse quoted here, and we are. It's, it's uh, in the psalm, Psalm 44, and verse 22 nearly quotes this word for word. But what's the point here? As it is written, why does Paul bring that up? As he's talking about us uh, not being separated from the love of Christ, nothing being able to do that. He says, as it is written, we're killed all the day long, we're counted as, as sheep for the slaughter. What's the point? Well, we're living in the U.S. right now. We're sitting uh, in an air-conditioned building on padded pews, and, and we don't know anything about an empire like Rome that hates Christianity, breathing down the neck of Christian people and putting people to death. And there's already many who have died for the faith at this time. I mean, we find Stephen and James are already in the tomb and so on. And, and so Paul makes a case here of, yes, we're persecuted. We have all this peril coming down at us. We are like sheep for the slaughter. He pictures probably the most helpless animal there is, a sheep. You talk about defenseless. Uh, a sheep can't run away from a predator. They have stubby little legs. They say, Let's get out of here, you know, and, and uh, they can't run. They got little mouths, no fangs just for grazing and eating grass. You know, uh, they have no claws. Here, here's a skunk. Think about it. A skunk has, has a defense. A porcupine uh, has a defense. A cobra has a defense. A wolverine has, has claws. But a sheep can't defend itself. Sheep just grow wool and get fat. <laughs> you know, basically, it's not very flattering because it's a picture of us. But, but Paul's making it sink in here. We need God. That's what he's saying. But he's saying it doesn't matter what comes down on us as sheep, and the Roman Empire was coming after Christians at that time, we're counted as sheep for the slaughter, but the subject is the love of Christ, found back in verse 35. What can separate us from the love of Christ? The Roman Empire? No. Nero? No. Caesar? No. The Jews? No. We'd be goners like sheep, he's saying, for the slaughter. But notice in verse number 37, it says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors 
through Him that loved us. Though helpless sheep, though many enemies surround us, we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors. More. More than conquerors. That means more than enough. If somebody fills our glass higher than we want, whoa, 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 that's more than enough, you know? The Bible says we are more than conquerors over circumstances, over some of those things mentioned in in verse number 35. All these enemies. Though we are sheep for the slaughter, we are more than conquerors. We need to be told that so that we might know who we are in Christ, so that we might be able to assert our rights as Christian people. If you're a student of World War II, you've heard the name General Wainwright. He was not Nemes or, or Eisenhower or MacArthur or one of the more famous ones, but, but General Wainwright was a very famous general. And through some unfortunate circumstances, he, he fell into the hands of the enemy, the Japanese people. And uh, they incarcerated him in the, the Mandarin uh, concentration camp. It was an awful place. And there he was nearly starved to death, and he was beaten daily, and he was tortured, and, and uh, they, they did everything they could to break his will except kill him. Well, as the Japanese war effort failed, we won. And uh, the, uh, the peace treaty was signed on, on the big ship, I think it was the USS Missouri, and, and uh, word got back to uh, Japan in that concentration camp that Wainwright was now in charge of the concentration camp. Well, a, a Japanese officer came in, he unlocked the cell door, he whispered something in the ear of Wainwright, and Wainwright kind of, he stood erect and he started to walk out, and some of the old uh, Japanese soldiers began to mock him and, and jeer him and poke at him um, like they did before, and, and the Japanese officers went, whoa, 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 stop, and, and went over and whispered into the ear of these, these uh, soldiers, and all of a sudden they stood at attention And they realized this man is now in charge. It's been totally reversed. And the victory had been won. And the rights were now being asserted. Folks, if you have been saved, the victory has been won. And and Paul's describing it here. And he's telling us to assert our rights because we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Rise up. Well, we now get to 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 the apex, the zenith, if you will, of this chapter here, the crescendo. We've seen the uncondemning Father, the unending fellowship, but finally we see this unconditional faith. Unconditional faith. Verse number 39, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice that fourth word in that passage, for I am persuaded. I am persuaded. That's a heart word. It's not a head word. He didn't say, I, 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 I have the facts, I, I, I know this. No, knowing is one thing, but being persuaded, it's a powerful Greek word. Paul said, there's no question about this. I am persuaded that none of this stuff, he mentions a bunch there, can separate us from the love of Christ. Here's Paul, and you've got to picture it. He wrote this epistle from, from ancient Corinth, and it, it's so neat to picture it because we were in Corinth a few months ago, and then we were in Rome. We were in the place where it was written, which was a hellhole. Corinth was an awful seaport town, and Paul's writing it from that place with all this stuff going on around him, and then he's going to send it to another hellhole, Rome, 
And Paul says, I am persuaded, it doesn't matter what it is. None of this stuff, I am totally convinced. He mentions ten things. None of these things can separate us from the love of God. He mentions death first of all. He says in verse 38, I am persuaded that neither death, death, what a creepy word, huh? Death. It, it causes anxiety in the hearts of a lot of people. Uh, I mean, honestly, even, even saved people. Death, he mentions here. And if you, if you don't cringe a little bit when you hear death, you're not normal because there's something about death. I'm, I, I, I've never really had an inkling to die, wanting to die. I'd rather go up than, uh, than die. I'd rather uh, meet the upper taker than the undertaker. How about you? And, and so I, I'm not looking forward to death. But uh, I, don't, I don't fear it. But if you're not saved, it can be really unnerving. There are a lot of people, I'm telling you, it, it, it's like, well, you never know, you know. And, and, and at funerals, well, I wonder where he is, you know, that thing. Death is uncertain. It, 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 in some ways, it could come today, it could come next week, it could come next month. You never really know when it's going to come. Many have heard of the, uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It was a, uh, an actual event that took place in Lake Superior in, in uh, 75. I think it was November of 75. Gordon Lightfoot wrote the, 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 the folk song and so on and so forth. And there were 29 men who perished on that, that ship there. It went down there in Lake Superior. There was a, a man on board by the name of Robert Rafferty, and he was from Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. He wrote home a week before the, uh, the, the shipwreck, and he said, I should be home by November 8th. But then he added, he said, uh, however, nothing is sure. And uh, wouldn't you know it? He didn't get home by November 8th. I'll tell you, you never know about death. And it can be a very unnerving thing if you're not saved. But if you're saved, you know, we read in John 5:24, Christ said, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is past from death unto life. In a way, you really don't experience it. Yeah, physically, the heart stops, the lungs stop. But you're passed from that, death, right into life. You're ushered in, you're escorted in immediately into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I found a verse this last week. Um, if you're getting up there in, in, in age, and some of you are, you know, I'm looking at some gray hair, and some of you are getting long a tooth, and... and uh, if you're getting up there, let me show you this verse. Isaiah 46, 4 says, And even to your old age, I am he. And even to whore hairs or gray hair, will I carry you, I will deliver you. If you're getting up there, and death is kind of looming. By the way, where's Richard? I'm not, oh yeah, there he is. His favorite song, when I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. Growing old and feeble. He's there, buddy, I'll tell you that for sure, but... But even unto your old age, I am he. And even to whore hairs, God says, will I carry you and will deliver you. What a blessing that is to know. As you come close to death, the Lord will go with you. Well, again, verse 38, Paul says, I'm persuaded. He mentions neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. That's the demonic world. Nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. I wish I had time to elaborate on these. Height, depth, nor any other creature, verse 39, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can divide you. Nothing can sever you. Nothing can uh, uncouple you or split you, if you will, from God once you're saved. 
You are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. You have eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory. That's assurance. The hope of heaven. Hebrews 6.19 says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. We sung about it just a little while ago. We have an anchor. Both sure and steadfast. I love that expression. Can you picture it? An anchor of the soul. An anchor of the soul. You know, they say that as a, a ship ages, they need to examine the lengths of the anchor every so often. If it's kind of a freshwater vessel, they'll, they, they don't examine all of them. They'll just examine one in ten. And they'll say, well, if this one's good, the rest of them are probably good. But if it's an, uh, an ocean liner and it's out on the, the salt water and it needs that anchor when it's deep out at sea and if it doesn't have it, it's going to bust loose and who knows what happens, they'll examine every single link of that anchor and they'll x-ray it to be sure that it's strong. Folks, every link back to Christ is strong. And the Bible says we, we have this hope as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. What a blessing that is to know. You know, I mentioned uh, John Bunyan a little while ago, buried there in the, the Bunhill Cemetery in, in uh, North London. You know, he uh, suffered quite a bit for the faith, and, and the reason he was able to write Pilgrim's Progress is he was uh, staying in a jail cell at the time, the Bedford Jail. They put him in there for preaching the gospel, basically the bottom line. He had a 12-year-old daughter, I believe that was her age, blind. And she used to come to the, uh, the outside window of that jail cell, and she would beg her daddy to come home. And she would say, Daddy, they've decided that if you'll just stop preaching like you do, you can come home. And a little tear streaming down from her blind eyes and begging her dad to just stop preaching so he can come home. And he said, Honey, God's called me to preach, and He's told me what to preach, and I've got to be true to God. I've got to preach the truth. You know what John Bunyan's favorite passage was? We've been looking at it today. This one. And especially verse 39. I'm persuaded that neither death or any of those things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a, what a blessing. What a passage. What a, a glorious promise. I wouldn't trade places with a lost person for anything. If you're here today and you've never been born again, you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have these promises, over 7,500 of them in the Bible. But God says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever had a time in your life when in repentance and faith, in, in a change of mind about your sin, you've turned to the Savior and you've called upon Him, you've, you've set Him up as Lord of your life and said, not my will but thine be done. I want to follow you. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Have you ever been truly saved? If you're to die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? Because you can't work your way there. That is futile. That is foolish. That is hopeless. We are helpless. Have you ever had a time in your life when you realize none of that man-made stuff will save you, but the blood Christ shed on Calvary's cross paid for your sin and now that gift is offered? Have you ever received it? Have you ever accepted it? If so, you're part of these glorious promises. If you're here today and you're a child of God, again, bask in it, rejoice in it, revel in it, assert your rights. Stop wandering around under that cloud of guilt in self-condemnation or allowing somebody else to condemn you. You're a child of God. 
thank Him for that. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.